Welcome to Create Your Own Light, where we harness our past, we embrace our future, and learn to conquer the roadblocks along the way together. I'm your host, Travis Howes. Let's get on with it. This episode is brought to you by YourWelder.com. YourWelder.com is an online directory of mobile welders. Whether at your home or at your industrial processing plant, we come to you. Our community of mobile welders can repair anything from the neighbor's mailbox that you just backed into or the cat bulldozer sitting on your job site. YourWelder.com is a directory of highly skilled professionals willing to help you on your job site on your timetable. YourWelder.com screens all of their welders using tools like photos from social media apps such as Instagram, Parler, and Facebook, even face-to-face meetups. YourWelder.com was built by actual industry welding experts who actually perform this type of work on a daily basis. And here's the best part. They're veteran-owned and operated. So go check them out at YourWelder.com. And also feel free to check them out on social media where I'll include their links in the show notes. Many of us do not know when to shut our mouths. Um, I've, had a, I've had a hard time over the years, especially growing up, being, being that person. My mouth got me in more trouble than anything in this world. I, was, I never really filtered my thoughts, and therefore I grew into a person that kind of was proud of, hey, I speak my mind, et cetera, et cetera. But then I never learned my lesson, and that lesson was shut your fucking mouth. Keep your mouth shut. And I came across this, I don't even know where I came across this, but it's a list. It's um, 20 things of when to keep your mouth shut. And it makes so much sense. And I think about this from a mental health standpoint. It's we're so quick to fire off at the mouth or so quick to uh, adjust someone's um, point of view um, to accommodate our point of view or just tell people what we think. And it never, ever, ever makes the situation better. So after reading this list a few times, I can't disagree with it. And I want to read it to you. It's number one is when to shut your mouth or when to keep your mouth shut. Number one, in the heat of anger. How, how true is that? Every time I've ever been upset, Everything out of my mouth is vicious and it only hurts. And I've actually worked on that over the years. That's one of the things I've worked on um, through my mental health journey is to try not to speak when you're upset. Try to take a breath, try to speak from a very calm place. And I've actually grown leaps and bounds in that department. And I would encourage you, I think one of the things is we always go to our default setting, right? We always go back to who we are, what we know, what is familiar. And if this, if this is not you, then, you know, feel free to fast forward. I'm just going to cover a couple of these real quick. Know when to shut your mouth when you are feeling critical. I think that's very important, especially when you're feeling critical of yourself, because like I said in, in podcasts previously, Whatever you say about yourself, whatever you think about yourself, that's going to be the gospel. That is going to be how you truly feel about yourself. So if you're feeling critical of yourself, you know, don't use the words like, man, I'm so fucking stupid. Because I used to, I used to say things like that about myself all the time. I thought it was like reverse motivation, but it wasn't, it was only breaking myself down. So when you're feeling critical of yourself or even critical of others, shut your mouth. I like this one. It says, if you've already said it one time before, 
pretty much don't say it again. That's that old school saying, I don't chew my cabbage twice. Whatever that means. I never understood why somebody would chew their cabbage twice, but it's just talking about repeating yourself. And I'm bad on that, man. I, Man, if I say something one time, I actually... I do not like to repeat myself and very seldom do I. I don't know if that's a good trait or bad, but it made me it made me laugh if uh when I saw that. This other one says, if your words will destroy a friendship. Think about that, man. I mean, sometimes we get so critical of other people and we get so heated in the moment. Words hurt worse than fists. You cannot take these words back, man. I'm real big on this, especially when I teach post-traumatic purpose. I'm big on teaching how we communicate. Like when I talk about the communication portion in the course, um, I'm, I'm big on that. You, ha- you have to be careful how you phrase things in the tone that you say, and it's not what you said, it's how you said it kind of thing. Like, um, there's nothing more true than that. And the problem is once you get away with it one time, two times, three times, that starts to become habitual behavior. And you don't even realize that you become a verbally abusive person. And I never thought about it that way until it was brought up to me. And then I, once I thought about that, I was like, wow, I'm verbally abusive. And nobody wants to be labeled abusive. But the problem is it just becomes part of your character over, over time. If you, if, 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 People let you get away with it and they don't put you in check. You know, it's that um, you give somebody an inch, they take a yard kind of thing. And I think that's what it boils down to. And once I got to a point in my life where I started being 100% honest with myself instead of making excuses for myself and everything around me, and I owned what it was that I was going through, that's when that true growth really started. And I had to acknowledge that. And I was like, man, there are times where I'm just downright verbally abusive. And that's, unacceptable because I would never let anyone in this world talk to people that I care about that way. But so why do I get to do it? And the answer was, I don't get to do it. And I know many of us are in that same boat. We fly off the handle. We don't think before we speak. We don't take that breath before we speak. And you have to, the things you say matter, especially when you have children involved and they're within earshot of the things that you say. They take that stuff and they, they learn from it. They will learn your behavior and they will become that because they think that that is normal. You know, I, I tell people all the time in the class post-traumatic purpose, I'm like, would anybody in here, I ask them, would anybody in here intentionally harm their family or intentionally make their people that they love sick? And I said, let me see your hands if you would intentionally do that to your family. And nobody has ever raised their hands. But I tell them with secondary trauma exposure, that is exactly what you're doing to your family. If you're not aware of the way that you're reacting to things around your family, you're making them sick. Secondary trauma exposure is just that. They do not even have to witness or be a part of whatever you witnessed or were a part of in your life. And by the way that you are around them, the way that you react, the way that you communicate, you can affect them extremely negatively and they can pick up your behavioral traits. You can end up putting your your spouse or your children on antidepressants. They can be anxious and have anxiety because of you, because of their your their fear of your reaction to things. They'll bite their fingernails, man. They'll 
They'll just constantly be walking on eggshells. And who in the world would do that to their children or their spouse intentionally? None of you. None of you. So once you hear this, you can't unhear it. You can't go and and yell at your family and not think, what is this causing? What is this doing to them? You have to think about that every time you're going to react to a situation. Am I perfect? Hell no. I'll still jump in the motherfucker's ass in a heartbeat. When I say motherfucker, am I talking about my kids? Possibly. (laughs) Um, Motherfucker is a term of endearment for me. Those of you that know me really close, that's, that's how I show that I love you. But will I still dive off in somebody's ass? Yes. Is that right? No. Am I human? Yes. But do I work on it? Absolutely. 100% unequivocally, absolutely I work on it. And this is what I want to talk about next. I'm going to get back into that list, but I have this note here in my in my phone. I said, the hardest thing, one of the hardest things, and I've realized this, is to keep motivated after a relapse. And what I mean by that is when I'm talking about my relapses, I'm talking about relapses in behavior, right? So when I lose control of who I am, when I lose control and somebody else, I let somebody else cause a reaction from me, to me, that's a relapse in my behavior because my ultimate goal is to be able to be so um, in control of myself that I let nobody have control over me, right? Even down to my children. The problem is they'll say things, they react to things and it, and it, and it affects me in certain ways and thus causes a reaction on my part. And sometimes that reaction is poor, but sometimes I have an amazing reaction that I would have never had years ago. And that's because of the growth that I've been through. That's because of the work that I put in on myself. When I lose control and when I come unglued at the hinges and I yell or I shout at somebody that I shouldn't yell or shout at, I feel horrible. I feel like that alcoholic or I feel like that heroin addict who's been 40 days clean, 40 days sober, and boom, now you start over at day one again. And it's a, it's a horrible feeling because you do, feel, you do feel like you let yourself down. You do feel like you let everybody else down around you. It does feel like that when you're actually making improvements, I'll speak from somebody who, who lives this stuff. When you're actually improving, you always feel like people are on the sidelines waiting for you to trip up just so they can be like, yeah, that's what I thought. And that's what it kind of feels like when you're, when you're improving and you're putting in all the hard work, you're doing the best you can to not overreact to situations, to stay calm, to not be so hypervigilant, to um, not wake up screaming in the middle of the night from a dream. But when you wake up, just sit up and take a breath. But when you overreact to something or you lose control to, to something, that's kind of what it feels like. It feels like a big relapse and it feels like you let yourself down and it feels like you let others down around you. So how do, how do we bounce back from that? How do we recover from a behavioral relapse or, or, you know, um, uh, a relapse from substances? Now, um, I'm not, I guess a professional when it comes to substance abuse relapses, but I am a professional when it comes to behavioral relapses. And I think what we do with a behavioral relapse is this. You have to understand that you are human and that you do you make mistakes. You're far from perfect, right? But that is no excuse and there's never an excuse to abuse verbally, to verbally abuse somebody or abuse somebody in general like that. But there's never 
any reason that should make you scream and yell at people that you care about. There's really no excuse for that. And I can't look back on my life and think about one one time that's actually justified in raising my voice beyond an acceptable limit. Um, so I know when those things happen to me, when they've happened to me in the past, how horrible it feels afterwards. And you feel like a big letdown, right? And after you look at your children, after yelling or something like that, and you see the doubt in your spouse's eyes, like, yeah, I knew this was coming. What do you do? Well, I'm going to tell you what you do. You have to own your shit. That's the only way around it. Or the only way, excuse me, the only way through it. You don't want to go around it. You want to go through it. Better, better words there. And what I found is helpful is you sit people down with them face to face and you make zero excuses for it. And you tell them just like this. Look, there's no reason that I should have ever raised my voice or talked to you in the manner that I did. There's no reason that would justify that. I lost control of myself. That's unacceptable. I am one million times sorry for that. I'm going to work really hardly on that. I'm going to work um, very diligently on that. Not hardly, but very. I'm going to work extremely diligently on that. This is why I yelled. This is why I lost control, but it's no excuse. And I need to be better for you and for myself. Because how can I expect better from my own family if they can't expect better from me? It's not fair, right? We expect the best from one another. And you have to you have to let them know that. You have to let them know that you made the mistake and there's no excuse for it. Because what happens inevitably, I think, is that when you start um, making reasons and, and uh, pointing fingers for your lack of control, I think that does something chemically to people. And I don't know what the, the, the word for that is. But I think they end up growing up and they start being self-conscious. Um, and in better terms, it fucks them up. How about that? I'm not going to try to speak outside of my wheelhouse here. It fucks them up. And that's not fair. You know, I uh, I remember um, I used to spank my girls when they were little because I was spanked when I was little. And I remember thinking, man, parents that don't spank their kids are just, they're, they're creating soft kids. And so I would spank. And I'm like, I ain't spanking. And you have that mentality of, man, I got spanked. And look at me. I turned out okay. No, yeah, look at me. I'm fucked up. I'm a fucked up human being. But it takes courage to admit that. Like, hey, look, I am not perfect. And I think that's what people try to do. Like, yeah, I got spanked. Look at me. Like, no, yeah, look at you, motherfucker. And look what you're doing to your kids. You're traumatizing your kids. I had another father one time. I lost a friendship over this, man. This guy said our kids got into it one time. And I expected him to beat his child because his child choked my child. And I'm standing there getting ready to kick his kid's ass. And he didn't do anything about it. So I had words with him. And I tried to make him feel about like a biggest piece of shit parent that I could. And that his son was going to grow up and be a piece of shit human being. Because he didn't catch an ass whipping for that. And then he said, man, Travis, I'm just not going to be a heavy handed parent like you. And I remember walking away thinking, what a pussy. What a bitch. Too afraid to beat your own child's ass. That was my mentality back then. And man, I have completely changed that. 
I wouldn't put my hands on my children now. I don't give a fuck what it's for. I will not do it. I do not believe in it. I think communication with your child is far better than beating on them. Far better. Now, some of you may disagree and you may think I'm the pussy and you may think that that I'm a soft. But here's the difference. I don't give a fuck what anybody thinks about me anymore. I have I quit caring what people think about me many years ago. I wish I had somebody that could shoot it to me straight when I first started out being a father. Because the only thing that matters to me in this life are raising my children appropriately and not fucking them up and not letting them be like me. You know what my daughter said to me the other night? We were, she was laying in bed and she goes, daddy, I want to do what you do. And I stopped and I said, what are you talking about? What I do? She goes, I want to get up in front of people and talk about things like you do. And it almost made me cry. And I looked at her. I said, Poppy, I said, I hope you never get to do what I do. Because for her to do what I do means she is going to suffer a lot. And she's going to go through mental anguish like I did. And I want that for nobody. For nobody. And I wish I had somebody, a positive role model, to speak about this stuff when I first became a parent. So I could watch my tone. And I could watch how I speak. And I could speak with a little bit more delicacy and I could have a little bit more tenderness in my words and in my heart. And I wish I could have had more compassion for my children when they were younger. I literally was that guy. You would fall out of a tree and I would stand there and just watch and be like, you getting up or not? Now I'm not saying you got to run over and coddle. I'm not a coddling parent. I am still very stern with my kids. Extremely. I take things from them. They don't, they don't cross the line and I'm not putting my kids on a pedestal. They can be assholes too. Just like everybody else's, but I won't put my hands on them. I retired what we call Big Brown. Big Brown was my belt, and I retired it. You know what it is? It's abuse. It's flat-out physical abuse when you beat on your children like that. I'm not talking a pop on the behind when they're young. Yeah, that's fine. But when you start laying that belt to them religiously for doing things that children do, for making mistakes that children do. Fuck, we're adults and we make mistakes and nobody snatches our ass in a knot. You know what I mean? I remember thinking I'm spanking my children for shit and I still fuck up as an adult and nobody's here to spank me. So who am I to lay down the law like this? I think I'm fortunate because my girls are older now and I mean, they're not little children, but they're older now and they don't do the things that they used to do to warrant spankings. Like they listen now. If I ask them not to do something, they're really pretty good about that. So I'm pretty fortunate, but I know one thing that scared me is when they were younger, I remember spanking one of them. I don't remember what it was for. And I found myself getting mad while I was spanking because it wasn't working. And then, you know what you end up do to instill more, more discipline. So we thought is you got to spank harder. And then I found myself being, I'm like, this could get really bad. And, And I remember just stopping. I just stopped. And that was the last time I ever spanked my child because inside of me, I wanted to spank her even harder. And I was like, mm I can't do this. I got to stop. And I didn't want to do that. So that's how I arrived at this point where I think, um, spanking kids is bullshit. I really do. And it, you know, this could go against every fiber in your body, which is fine. You do what you do. Uh, we can agree to disagree. I hope, I hope that you still continue supporting and listening to this podcast and supporting 
what I do with mental health. That doesn't mean I think you're an asshole. That doesn't mean I think you're a fucked up parent. Look, I was, I did those things. I was there. I just got to a point where I chose to communicate with my family on a different level. And the reason that I would go to that spanking route is because I wasn't capable of actual communication. I was not, I don't want to say intelligent enough, but I wasn't, um, I didn't have the ability to construct the words and I didn't have the ability to set my pride to the side. So the first thing I resorted to was extreme violence. That's what I did because that's the background I come from. You know, it was done to me, so it must have been good. Just because we we grew up doing something a certain way doesn't mean it's the right way. You know, I hear people say that all the time, too. They're like, well, that's the way it was done in my day. Well, it might have been done fucked up in your day. So why would you still be doing it fucked up? And why wouldn't we be open to doing things other ways? Skinning the cat, right? How, there's more than one ways to skin a cat. Why was that term invented? Because maybe the one way of skinning the cat is not the most appropriate way to skin the fucking cat. If that makes sense. I want to get back to this um, relapsing behavioral trait thing that I was kind of talking about. And I have a note in my phone and I actually talk about what it's like when you, when you're trying so hard to be something that you know that you're not. And what I mean by that is when you are wired as a caveman and when you are wired as a doer and when you are wired as an effective, hard communicator and you are wired for violence and you are wired for mission accomplishment, all these things, but then it's expected of you to be gentle. It's expected of you to tone things down. It's expected of you to delicately communicate. It's expected of you to not be so heavy handed. That is very hard. And my notes say it's like you're working against who you are hardwired to be expecting unrealistic results ultimately sets you up for failure. And that's that's how I would feel sometimes. I was thinking, I was like, man, I am wired to be a Corvette, but society expects me to be a Honda Accord. You know, I'm wired to be a big fucking strong muscle car and to go fast and to open it up zero to 60 real fast. But society and people around me, when I do open that up and do what I'm wired to do at a high performance level, it's not acceptable. And so I feel horrible. So yeah, when you're sitting around at your house all day and uh, you're, you're trying to be something that you're not, it's, uh, what I mean by that is trying to be like perfect for everybody. It's hard, man. It's hard work. It's hard to, to accept that, that change in your life. And I'm st I still work on that, man. So there's sometimes I was sitting by my pool the other day and I was thinking about this. I was in deep thought with it. I was like, is this even possible or am I playing a charade? Am I just pretending myself? Can I really be a good, soft, delicate human being? Will that ever happen or am I pretending? Am I just fooling myself? Because every fiber in my body and my entire upbringing and my entire background, my entire life wired me to be something completely different. In the Marine Corps, they teach you about violence of action. You know, they don't, um, they don't really give you too many classes on, uh, on coddling. They don't give you too many classes on pampering and feelings and all these things. I can tell you a bunch of classes you do get, but we're not going to get into that right now, but it's the opposite of all of that. It's the opposite of all of that. 
the very lingo that we use in the Marine Corps, and I'm not trying to make this a military podcast. That's not what I'm doing, but just, just to help paint a picture for some people that, that may be going through some, some of the thing, same things. And I'm just speaking about the Marine Corps because I didn't serve in the other branches. I'm not knocking other branches. I believe all of us exist for a reason. We're one big team trying to accomplish the same mission, okay? So I don't get into those whole fucking Army versus Marines and Marines versus Navy and all that. I mean, I do fuck do, do get into the Navy thing quite a bit because I'm a Marine, but whatever. But in the Marine Corps, and it has to be this way because when we're sending people to fight, you can't have them going over there to play fucking patty cake. But what I'm getting at is, they talk a lot about killing, a lot about killing the songs that we sing when we run, the way that we train with our weapons, when we step off with our left foot, when we're marching, that is called your kill foot pain is weakness, leaving the body. You're not allowed to be weak. You never show emotion. You never show weak weakness, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not complaining. I'm just trying to, for some of y'all that may not know all of this, I'm trying to educate you a little bit on that. So when you go through that, no matter how long you stay in four years, 20 years, whatever, you think your brain isn't programmed a little bit. You think there's not some rewiring that took place there. The problem is when you leave that environment, there's no reprogramming. There's no rewiring. You go right into the next environment. You go into the fire service, the police service, whatever. And you go in there without ever really rewiring your brain back to a normal place. You see what I'm getting at? And so it's almost like the innocence in you, in your life, the innocence in you dies at that point in your life at 18 or whatever it is, the time you go in some, some branches of the military. And I'm not saying this happens to everybody because some people go in and they, they're just fine when they come out, depending on what job they go into. Some people go into certain jobs where there's a greater percentage of those things that take place like the infantry, right? And there's some people that go into um, non-infantry specializations in the military. And they don't really talk about things the same way. You know? Or they may. I don't know. But what I'm getting at is when we have a a high veteran population in, in the emergency services. So when you have people like that getting out of the military, coming into these, um, these lines of work that we do with these... with where we have just multiple traumatic experience waiting after multiple traumatic experience. Well, they probably have a lot of unprocessed stuff that they're dragging with them into this business. And they just keep not processing things in their life. It's just sad to me to know what happens to us. When I look back as a young man, I truly think at 18 years old, the Travis house that, that I loved being, I think that I really think that young man died. I really do. And he grew into a little bit, uh, a little bit of manhood, I, I would say, but the innocence of me, and I only speak for myself and maybe this relates to you too. My innocence died. And I guess at some point it has to, so you can grow into manhood or into adulthood. I mean, you can't stay a child forever. But when I think about life, and I think about fun. I don't know when the last time I really had a good time was. And I mean fun, fun, fun. And that that concerns me. I was sitting on my back porch with my dad the other day. I just finished up some events in Hilton Head, South Carolina. I want to talk about those in a minute. And I looked at him and we're just sitting on the back porch like we always do when I go see my parents. I said, Dad, I grew up in this town. I said, 
I had a lot of friends in this town and I said, there's not one person that I can call right now and just go have lunch with. And you know what my dad said to me? He goes, yeah, but you like it that way, don't you? And that kind of hurt a little bit, but it was, it was, he was, he was right. I kind of do like it that way, but the other side of me kind of doesn't. That's, that's what I'm getting at. The older we get, the more desensitized the things we get in life, the harder we get in life, the more we push people away and the more isolated we become in life. And then ultimately one day you're an old man or you're an old woman and you're completely isolated and it didn't happen overnight. It took many years to get to the level of isolation that I'm at right now. Many years. I have people ask me to lunch all the time. I have people that ask me to dinner all the time. I will find every excuse to not do that sometimes just because I need time to myself, especially when I'm on the road. It's really hard because I get so exhausted from teaching that I just want to be alone. But it sucks because a big part of me also wants to be with people. And I'm telling you all that because I guarantee you there's a lot of you that do the same thing. I'm telling you that because I teach this in post-traumatic purpose. I talk about the social circles that we have and how they become severely diminished over time because of the way that we are, the way that we talk, the way that we walk, the way that we think, the way that we joke. And most people can't take that stuff. The only people that can really take that are people that we relate to. And those people that we relate to are the people we work with. Well, at the end of the show, when the show is over, those people you work with, are going, they're not going to be anywhere around either. And all you've done is you've completely isolated yourself and reduced your social circle to almost nothing. To like put your hand up and make a zero out of it, like a real small tight zero, right? Like looks like an asshole. That's what I'm talking about. And now you're just an asshole by yourself. And you don't want that. I saw something the other day that blew my mind, man. I don't know how true it is, but there's got to be some truth to it. I mean, it was on the internet, so I mean, it's questionable, but it makes you think. And I call it the 700 club for police officers. And what 700 club is, they say the average police officer with over 20 years experience has experienced 700 critical incidents in their lifetime or in their careers. Let me say that again. The average officer with 20 plus years on the job has experienced 700 or more critical incidents in their career slash lifetime. And the average human being experiences two critical incidents in a lifetime. I want you to think about that. I made a post on my Instagram the other day, and I'm going to read it word for word because I don't want this to be misconstrued. I posted that. I posted that. Um, that saying with the the 700 critical incidents thing. I posted that on Instagram and underneath it I wrote, the next time you tell your friends the officer who stopped me was such a dick, understand that that's your perception of someone who has potentially experienced 700 times the amount of trauma and stress that you will ever face. Rather than excuse your poor judgment, ask yourself if you could handle one-tenth of what they do, yet still smile and be polite to someone like yourself who just made up a every excuse in the book versus just owning your shit. And then I go on to say most of y'all can't even handle someone disagreeing with you on a social media post without coming unhinged. And that post blew up. <laughs> That's not what I was trying to do. I'm not trying to blow posts up, but it's the truth, man. And it makes me sad 
for the police out there because I think about that. I think about all the things that I was going through on the job when I was getting frustrated with people in the streets. And I, I look back now as someone who's not on the job and I'm like, I wonder if I would still talk to people the same way on that job if I wasn't exposed to the things I was exposed to. And the answer is no. There's no way. I would never talk to people like that. But I did because of all the shit I was exposed to and what we had to deal with on a daily basis. When you get tired of babysitting motherfuckers and you got to babysit people, then you go to these shit calls and then you got to deal with that and you got to come back and babysit grown fucking human beings who should be able to behave, but they can't. So you get lippy with them sometimes. Sometimes motherfuckers don't understand politeness. So you got to bump it up a notch and you got to get on their level. And then when you get on their level, then they get offended. And then they get offended, then they make a complaint. And one complaint turns into two, and two complaints turns into three. And before you know it, your police officer is written up. He's taken off duty for whatever, is suspended with no pay. And for what? Because of the way he spoke to somebody or she spoke to somebody? What we have is we have administrations who are going straight to punishments with that, and they're not stopping and addressing the problem. They're not stopping and actually sitting that officer down and saying, hey, bro, is everything okay with you? And I mean, okay. I mean, at home, I mean, psychologically, I mean, mentally, I mean, here on the job. How much stress do you have in your life right now? I bet you there's not anybody out there doing that. Actually pulling an officer in, sitting them down before they dig in their ass and write them up and suspend them and talking to them like a human being. Because I bet you we'd be surprised if we were doing that. I bet you we'd be surprised. And I bet you it would be quite scary what's going on in our law enforcement uh, profession. I told you I was just in Hilton Head, South Carolina, man. So I'm, I'm actually from Bluffton, South Carolina. I graduated, I graduated Hilton Head High School in 1996. And I really haven't been back. I came back out of the Marines for, you know, about a year, year and a half. I worked in the fire department down there. And then I went up to Charleston. And then I never went back. But Hilton Head, they um, they sent some representatives to an event that I did last year on the Marine Corps base on Paris Island, Marine Corps base. We were doing post-traumatic purpose there. And Hilton Head Fire Department sent some rep representatives out from their training department and all this and uh, peer support team. And so they said, hey, Travis, we want to get you in 2023. So we set up a date. And I just went and did that two-day event, man. And those those dudes couldn't have been more professional, man. And they they were phenomenal, man. We, you want to know the, the, the kicker? The, the class that we held was at the University of South Carolina, Beaufort. And the funny part about that is when I got out of the Marine Corps in early 2000, I went straight to college. I went straight. Well, I tried to. Let me, let me back up. I went straight to the University of South Carolina, Beaufort, the same exact campus that we were just at. Took my transcripts in there, and they damn near laughed me out of the building. I remember how it felt because I was dumb on paper. On paper, y'all, I am a dumb dumb dude. I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you right now. I graduated high school without any Englishes. I took English one. And after that, I was pushed into a different program that wasn't, it was just called communications in the workplace. Okay. Because they knew a dude like me was not going to college. I didn't take, um, a high level math. I, I don't even think I took pre-algebra. I took basic math and that's all I took in high school. I took, uh, I didn't take any foreign languages and I squeaked through and they gave me a high school diploma. I didn't deserve that diploma, but I got it. They just wanted me gone. So here's, here's what I'm getting at. My second book, I start off writing about, uh, my lack of education and I start off 
talking about my fear of my lack of education because I was always under the impression that you can't be successful in life unless you have that piece of paper, unless you have a college degree, unless you have an education. So I believed that I was never going to be anything more than whatever I was becoming. I just thought I was just going to work on Hilton Head and I was just going to do whatever mundane nine to five job and I was never going to get ahead in life and I was never going to like be my own person. I would just you know, just, just fall into the rat race. Okay. And I did the complete opposite. My life didn't even for a second go that fucking direction. And it's because I took charge of my life and I owe it all to the United States Marine Corps. And I'm not even going to get into that right now because the Marine Corps not only makes Marines, they made something of my mind. They pretty much instilled that Dude, you can do anything in this world mentality. And we're going to get into that another day. But here's the funny part. I'll never forget what it felt like when the admissions office pretty much laughed me out of there. And they, when I say laughed, I mean, it was, it was disrespectful. It just wasn't professional the way that they handled it. And I felt dumb when I left there. Uh, I'm not saying they were laughing and pointing their finger and giggling so hard they were farting in their chair. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that it it was very embarrassing for me. And I remember that embarrassment. And I remember leaving with my head hung down. And I remember thinking that I was dumb. And I wasn't worthy of an education. So fast forward to two days ago. I was actually teaching in that very building it was a new building, but I was teaching in that same campus, not as a student. I was there technically as a professor y'all. And it felt kind of funny to be up in front of everybody in a class, very professional classroom environment teaching when I couldn't even get into the damn school. How funny is that? Um, but anyway, kudos to Hilton head Island, South Carolina fire department and their, their professionalism and their hospitality for putting on, Two, two wonderful events, post-traumatic purpose. They opened those events up to all first responders and spouses in the local area. And we had people from three hours away that came to that event. So that, that really warms my heart because I'll be honest, when I started doing this back in 2016, it was a grind. It still is a grind, but it, people were not convinced still in 2016 that we had a problem. People were not convinced that there was a mental health issue in the emergency services business. And, they were still kind of like, eh, you know, tough guy, tough girl, shit, whatever. But we realize it so much now. The overwhelming support it 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 really is it really is neat to know that from three hours away, people are coming to get some some of this information that that we're that we're doing. And man, you want to talk about blessed to be able to do what I do? I I just I couldn't be any happier, and I couldn't be any more thankful. So. I appreciate y'all. I love y'all. I know I've had off for two weeks here uh, on this podcast. Uh, I appreciate y'all keep you know coming back to it and giving me giving me a break in between episodes. It really means a lot. And every time that you know I go in and check the download, y'all are still here. So thank y'all so much. Um, this week I'm in um, college. Let me see before I get this wrong. I'm in. I know I'm in Maryland, College Park. I'm in College Park, Maryland, with the um, International Association of Firefighters for the Maryland. Um, the Maryland professional firefighters. I'll be there. And then I come home, I'm home for a week. I'll be out in Provo, Utah with the, um, with the Utah, um, state fraternal order of police. So I'll be out there doing that. And then I'm down in West Palm beach, Florida. Uh, you can check my schedule, travishouse.com. 
keep sending people. Uh, it's it's working, y'all. It's working. We we are making headway in this mental health game, and it's not me. It's every single one of you. It's every single one of you that has raised your hand in my audience when I ask. You know who else has ever felt this way? Um, it's it's you that's making the difference. Um, and I couldn't be more thankful for y'all. I love y'all. Bye bye.